0: Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, Principal Consultant with Future Fuel Strategies, and with me today is Dr. Dev Shrestha of the University of Idaho, and Dr. Shrestha is the co-author of a research paper called Biofuel Impact on Food Prices Index and Land Use Change. Before I welcome him to the program, I'd like to let the readers know a little bit about Dr. Shrestha's background. He researches and teaches in the areas related to biological and agricultural engineering. His undergraduate master's and doctorate were in agricultural engineering. He has secured more than $6 million external competitive research grant funding, working in more than 20 projects. His current research projects have been mainly funded by the US Department of Energy, US Department of Agriculture, and US Environmental Protection Agency. He has published in more than 70 research articles, the majority of which are peer-reviewed publications. Dr. Shrestha, welcome to the program. So great to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Tammy.
0: So, I read all kinds of papers, articles, studies, reports, in the area of fuels and by the by a couple of months ago this paper called biofuel impact on food prices index and land use change showed up on my desktop and I thought it was really really interesting uh, some of the conclusions that you and your co-authors reached and that's how you're here on the program so can you talk to us a little bit about the main findings in the study itself? And was there anything that surprised you and the team as you were working on this?
1: Yeah, Tammy. There are several key findings in this study. And this paper is product of many years of research because initially we thought biodiesel is or biofuel in general is environmentally friendly and it is good for economy and all that. Then there were a couple of studies came out that showing just the opposite of that. And then we said, wait a minute, we need to dig into more details to find out what is true and what is not true. So we started looking at the real data to see check, essentially, of the economic model's findings that biofuel is actually doing more harm than good. So this is the paper from several years of study and more than 15 years of data after the biofuel. So we compare both to write this paper. So there are two important ones that I would like to mention here that's critical of this paper, Tammy that there is no evidence of the food price increase from biofuel. That's the first one. And the second one is there is no land converting to agriculture that can be attributed to biofuel. So we based on our conclusion on the real world data from trusted sources, such as FAO and U.S. Department of Agriculture. Because it's easy for someone to imagine how biofuel may increase food prices as they both use agricultural products. But it may be surprising for many why that would not be true. There are two easy explanations I would present to you as why biofuel is not going to increase the food price. One is to look at per capita food production worldwide. World Bank data shows that the Global Food Production Index which is how much food is grown from a unit of land, it has been increasing at an average of 2.8% per year since 2000. On the other hand, world population growth has been declining and currently at 1.1%. So this 2.8% increase in food food production and only 1.1% increase in population growth It has created a situation where we have more food production per capita. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yes.
1: So since there is only that much a person can eat, the excess food needs a market. Right. Biofuel providing that market where excess agricultural production can go. So will this food be cheaper without biofuel? That is the question, right, many people ask. So that may be the case in short run, but without the market, farmers will lose the incentive to grow more, and eventually the food yep. price may not be any cheaper.
0: You're kind of saying, you know, we need the biofuel for the food instead of the biofuel threatens the food, we need the biofuel to help produce the food.
1: Exactly, that's what I'm saying, that interesting. much more food that's being produced than we can possibly consume. Per capita food production is increasing. The reason that farmers grow more is because there is a market demand. And also, when the fraction of the agricultural product goes to fuel, the rest is used as food or feed. For example, 20% of the soybean oil that goes into biodiesel production and 80% of that's remaining of the soybean, that's soybean meal goes in animal feed. So when farmers goes more to meet the increasing demand for oil, they grow four times more soybean meal that goes into animal feed. So biofuel is actually helping farmers to create that market and grow more food and feed to reduce the price. That's contrary to what the common understanding is. Biofuel is causing inflation. So As Mm -hmm. an evidence to this inflation, we also looked into the data backing from 1973, 1973 all the way to now, and we found that the whole period can be divided into three distinct inflation zones for the food. first period is from 1973 to 1981, where we had average inflation rate of 8.3%. And from 1981 to 1991, that's a 10 years period, we had inflation rate of 3.8%. And from 1991 to 2016, we had inflation rate of only 2.6%. So this 1991 to 2016, inflation rate is significantly lower than other period of the time, yet this period encompasses the biofuel boom area after 2000. And we did not see any change in inflation rate before and after the biofuel boom. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you may ask, why is there is a high inflation rate in 1970s? And there are a lot of reasons for that. One of the reason is in 1970s period, Soviet Union unexpectedly bought a huge amount of grain in global from the global market, a rapid increase in global demand for grains and oil seeds. Trigger that inflation. Whereas the current lower rate in recent years may be due to a higher food production per capita. As I said, we are growing more food per capita than ever before. And we used to grow 30 bushels per capita in 1971 of corn, and now we grow 47 bushels per capita in 2016. Similarly for soybean, we grew from eight to 13 bushels of production per capita. So the recent growth rate after 1991 is five times higher than the historical growth rate because of the better genetics and management system. So those are the, some conclusions we, we got. Why even though both biofuel and food uses the agricultural product, by having a biofuel is not ag- ex- exactly contributing to the inflation.
0: And, you know, one thing that you said is that other analyses are, you know, a little more simplistic and and they don't really reveal the main drivers of food insecurity. And and therefore, that may limit or hurt opportunities for for bioenergy. Can you say a a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Initial prediction was, Why biodiesel is bad was based on an economic model, and that economic model was not developed to study the impact of biofuel um, in the like indirect land use change and all 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 issues. It was an existing economic model that was adapted to study this impact of biofuel. But since economic model needs a lot of Assumptions and data. There wasn't just enough data available, or I should say, quality data available, to come up with the accurate prediction from the model. So that main source of confusion is not having the quality data that goes into model. As it says, garbage in, garbage out. So if you have a garbage in to the model, the model will be garbage.
0: garbage. Yeah. Is there a tipping point in biofuels production at which food prices could be negatively impacted what would that look like or have you yeah guys that's have a looked good question that? yeah
1: biofuel may influence influence food price once we start using all of the excess food being produced so when biofuel exceeds that capacity when it starts to use more than what excess agriculture is available, then that, at that point, it may impact the food price. However, it should be noted that more biofuel also means more food production. As we already mentioned, only 20% of the soybean is the oil, and that goes into making biodiesel, whereas 80% of the soybean is meal, whose primary market is animal feed. So making more of the biodiesel or biofuel also means more soybean meal. This translates to a cheaper meat. And uh, similarly, the distillers dried grain and soluble, so it's called DDGS, mm-hmm. is a co-product of corn ethanol plant. And DDGS provides a cheaper feed for cattle, producing the low-cost beef for consumers. And not only that, you know, we have not seen that amount of biodiesel production to in- influence the uh, the food price market, the corn and soybean export from U.S. to other countries has not diminished despite U.S. Mm-hmm. biofuel production. So if you look at the historical data, U.S. has been exporting about 80 million metric tons of corn, and that's been consistent since 1991. And soybean export actually has increased from about 20 million metric tons in 1991 to about 55 million metric tons in 2017. So the farmers have capacity to grow more if there is a market for their product. This increase in agriculture production provides better food security because if something goes bad, the non-food use of mm-hmm. agriculture products can be diverted to food use if there is enough mm-hmm. of production, right? The so same argument goes with developing yeah. countries. More demand for agricultural commodity means more production, and that leads to a better food security for them. In summary, agricultural production is expected expected to grow, outpacing the population growth for the foreseeable future. And in general, we, know we pay more for food anyway. So it would be very difficult for the fuel market to compete with food market. For example, we pay about $6 per gallon for food-grade vegetable oil. And compared to that, for biodiesel production, the producer cannot afford more than one-third of that price. So food price is already higher, and fuel price won't be able to compete with food price to get some of that market. What I'm saying is fuel price, the biofuel market has to just use the excess of the food production. It won't be able to compete with the food supply chain. So $6 per gallon for vegetable oil that you buy in Costco versus maybe less than $2 per gallon for fuel or you know, diesel in today's price. So I'm not too worried that any, in any near future, the fuel market would be able to compete with the food market anytime soon.
0: So is there land use change? you know you you know, I know that this the study didn't directly so much um, address uh, this question, but I know that the team has worked in this area. so you know, do you consider that there's land use change associated with with biofuels production or indirect land use change? What are your views about that issue? It still remains kind of, contentious and i wouldn't say settled by any measure
1: yeah correct this is another questions we generally get about biofuel that if we grow or use agricultural product to make biofuel then that has to be the same amount of agricultural product that used in making biofuel has to be grown somewhere else that means somewhere else has to convert like agricultural land uh, or forest land into agriculture that's called indirect land use change that means because of the fact that we use more biofuel in the united states some other countries has to clear up forests to grow agricultural product that they miss from the united states again this is all the model prediction It makes sense from outside. The idea is that the biofuel creates more demand for agricultural products, and the forest has to be converted into agricultural land. That's a valid concern. However, what we found looking at the real-world data is the opposite of this expectation. The world and the U.S. agricultural land is steadily decreasing, not increasing. I would emphasize that fact that the world and the U.S. agricultural land is steadily decreasing. The reason that the world needs less land to grow grow food may be explained by improving land productivity. So despite declining agricultural land, World Bank data again I would like to like to iterate that the food productivity has been increasing at the rate of two point eight percent per year since two thousand. So the model But on less land. That, yeah, to add much land. Yeah. So at much less land we are growing Uh, agriculture production by 2.8 percent. And that's consistent since 2000. Declining agricultural land in case of U.S. and the world average is true. However, we have not looked into individual countries. There may be some countries that deviate from the world average. So that would be an interesting study in itself to look at. As you said, there may be a country or two which Deviates from the average of the world land productivity or land use change impact we have seen in this study.
0: So if there are so many, and returning to the economic modeling, if there are so many uncertainties with respect to economic modeling, which was, I think, a caveat sort of in the, in the study, if there's so many uncertainties, why do we rely so much on them?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Despite economic models having many known flaws, we rely on economic model because this is the best tool that's available out there. And economic model has worked for many other problems, but since this is a relatively new without much of the data, it hasn't worked for biofuel addressing indirect land use change issues for biofuel. So initial studies to predict land use change, again, has used this existing economic models. These economic models were not designed to predict the impact of biofuels. That's the reason that predictions were either off or even in some cases completely opposite of what actually happened. So I'll, I'll give you these four predictions that was given in 2008 paper Using this economic model, and then we'll compare how that economic model comparison versus the real world. So, the first prediction was that corn price will increase by
0: 40%. Oh boy.
1: Due to biofuel. That was the first prediction, and which clearly did not happen. As we discussed earlier, the real world data from 1991 to 2016 shows. The inflation rate of corn price was steady over the before and after biofuel era. There's no hiccup, no change whatsoever. There may be a year or two where the food price has gone up, specifically 2007 and 8 and 2011. That was due to the weather issues and declining dollar value at that time. And there are a couple of other things like fuel price was high. But other than that, if you just Look at the trend, there is no change whatsoever before and after biofuel era. So that prediction did not hold. The second prediction was that the US corn export will decline by 62% and the soybean export will decline by 28%, which also did not happen. The corn export stayed the same, right? While the soybean Mm -hmm. export is continuously rising. Look at the third prediction, of this uh, study, and it says that world agricultural land will increase to grow food to replace the amount used by biofuel. Also, as we discussed earlier, the world agricultural land is actually declining at 14 million acres a year. So that's quite a significant amount of reduced land for agriculture in the year. Yet we are increasing per capita food production, and the first production they have made was that the US will bring about 10.8 million acres of additional land into agriculture which also did not happen and actually in the United States agricultural land is declining. Hmm. Yeah again I would say that the problem with this complex model is they require large list of input parameters and understanding of interrelationship. unfortunately that has to be based on literature and studies and Know verified data which currently is not available. The model predictions are only good as assumptions. So, economic models trying to predict how much farmers will grow because the price has increased next year has to have a lot of assumptions like what would be the productivity of the land and how that's going to change. This all could be just a wild guess. So, there are a lot of non economic factors in this prediction. For example, productivity, including improving genetics that's not included in economic model, soil quality, management, climate, national and regional policies all plays a role determining how much farmers are going to produce next year. It's not just a simple matter of what is going to be the economics next year. So there are flaws in economics, but we still rely on this, it, it, it has to be a long way to go for economics to catch up with reality. And I would say that these models are improving over time. Since 2008, we have come a long way to improve this economic models, but we are not there yet to use this as the only tool in making good agricultural or biofuel policies.
0: So the study that you referenced in 2008 was that the Searchinger study by any chance, or was that another study?
1: That's the Searchinger study. That's what I'm referring to.
0: Wow. So I don't think I, I haven't seen anything. Maybe in the, in the research literature, but I certainly haven't seen anything that really has broken that all out. That has sort of taken taken a a backwards look at that study to say, hmm, you know, this is what was predicted and, and did it happen? So I think at least in my sphere, you're the first person that I've come across who has said, well, you know, these are just a handful of things that this study said would happen and none of it happened. And I think the problem with it, this is that that study was so incredibly influential And I might even add very damaging (laughs) for biofuel and for bioenergy as a whole. I mean, it really impacted first generation uh, biofuels and it also impacted advanced biofuels as well. And then policies kind of got shaped to a certain extent in other countries or they didn't happen uh, because governments concluded, well, it's bad. So I guess we're not going to do this. And so they didn't promote or try to grow their industries. And then, you know, what happened in Europe was just a quagmire of, you know, do we do something? Do we not do something? We have an uh, indirect land use change directive. I mean, it it was very, very controversial. And this study was really the start of kind of engendering all of that. And now it's 12 years later and it's like, well, yeah, that didn't happen. (laughs) <laughs> so right. it's like what <laughs> what you know I yeah. mean if I were a biofuel producer I would just be like what <laughs> you know Exactly. because it really you know it impacted people and farmers and livelihoods and, and I'm not saying this as an advocate I'm saying this as someone who is an, just an outside analyst going you know oh my gosh this is really huge why has there not been any kind of reconsideration of this because we if you look across the sphere and and you look across you know the need to decarbonize reduce greenhouse gas emissions what are the strategies to do that in in transport biofuels doesn't get talked about so much it, it is increasingly i guess but not as much as the story would have been different, but for this study. Now it's all about, you know, electric vehicles and now we're reading more about hydrogen and less about biofuels where, you know, biofuels and slash bioenergy really has a contribution to make. So it's, it's really like phenomenal how, I mean, this study, you know, really, it's really yeah. amazing what, what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's like, what? <laughs>
1: We changed all that just based on the economic model. And then we, when we looked at this real data published from ESD and FAO, we were like, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's exactly. A lot of that is just opposite of what happened.
0: One of the big things that came out in that study or, or that was a big, big part of that study was this concept of indirect land use change, land use change and, you know, um, life cycle analysis. So my question to you is as we start to conclude is should we be using life cycle analysis to regulate fuels and what should regulators be considering, you know, when it comes to setting policies to encourage the use of biofuels or or the more broader, you know, bioenergy?
1: Yeah, so this is a very important question. I mean energy policy in itself is a big challenge and task, I consider three major components, effective energy policies as three E's, I would put it this way. Energy security, environmental protection, and economic growth. So these three E's, energy security, environmental protection, and economic growth are the three pillars of an effective energy policy. So life cycle analysis, Primarily quantifies the environmental impact of biofuel, and we have done that in many different ways. And the paper says, shown biodiesel will reduce the environmental greenhouse gas emission compared to the fuel or petroleum fuel it replaces by 80 percent. And for corn ethanol, it's not that great, but it still reduces about 20 percent of greenhouse gas emissions. And then there are more advanced biofuel that come in up in the market, like cellulosic ethanol and green diesel and things like that, that will reduce greenhouse gas by 50, 50%. But that's life cycle analysis is only one component of biofuel policy making. So in terms of right. energy security, this is a time we better be serious. 80% of our energy today that we use comes from petroleum, natural gas, and coal. and Anyone can do this back of the envelope calculation. Just looking at what is the proven amount of reserve that's out in the world and how much, at what rate we are burning those. With the current rate of consumption, you'll find that the world has only 46 years of proven petroleum reserve. And if United States is to rely 100% on domestic petroleum, domestic petroleum production. We have enough supply for only about six years. And biofuel is the only commercially available un- alternative liquid fuel today. I mean, we can talk about battery technologies and all that. That's part of solution, but none of that has the energy density that liquid fuel has. For example, the advanced most advanced battery today we has about 150th of the energy density as the gasoline for example. So we have a long way to go in in terms of battery technologies to catch up that. So biofuel is a direct replacement for the liquid petroleum fuel. In terms of economic growth, biofuel has a huge impact on the economy. The biofuel industry generates $8.4 billion in U.S. economy and 47,000 U.S. jobs. And $2 is in paid wages. Similarly, ethanol industry provides 366,000 jobs and contributes $45 billion to the GDP. So that's a huge economic impact. So building this energy policy, everything, all these three factors has to be looked upon. And unbiased education to the public, to producer, to fuel suppliers, and policymakers, I think is the key in growing this biodiesel or biofuel industry, but unfortunately, this biodiesel education program that was initially funded through Farm Bill of 2002 that helped biodiesel industry to grow from almost nothing in 2003 to over two billion gallon industry, and because of this poor policies, this biodiesel edu- education program was not appropriated funding from the United States. Uh, USDA to continue beyond 2019, despite the fact that Congress has approved two million dollars of years of funding for this program. I think this level of funding is is a drop in a bucket, considering all other funding that USDA provides. But yet, this kind of educational program provides a vital support for biofuel industry and towards the liquid fuel independency. In uh, liquid fuel independence of the United States. I think at this stage, I think there is a great need for federal programs for research and education about sustainable fuel development, uh, specifically biofuel that replaces liquid petroleum fuel, because I think biofuel is still in infancy compared to other industries, and biodiesel particularly is still vulnerable to misconceptive and unfair attacks from like petroleum industries and other bigger uh, lobbies and and special interest groups, uh, which sees biodiesel as nuisance or a competitor. Without proper education, I think there is a chance of them defaming biofuel as uh, that can greatly hamper America's prospect to be a fuel in independent country.
0: Yeah, you know what I see is an opportunity to well. Definitely, if the U.S. policy kind of changes with respect to climate change and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, I can see an opportunity. I mean, you already see it in programs like the low carbon fuel standard and and so on and so forth for these fuels to continue. I really think you make a good point with respect to R&D because there's so much more that can be done to... And I don't know quite what that is because I'm not a, I'm not a technical expert in that way, but I think there's a lot of opportunity to improve 1G as well as further develop, you know, advanced biofuels. And if you look at the research funding for those areas versus, um, other fields, even within renewables, um, you know, other, in, other investment, it's really low. But I think there's an opportunity to really, you know, move 1G to 2G and move the advanced biofuels into super advanced. But it takes money and a lot of patience <laughs> to be able to do that. And the U.S. government traditionally has been one of the biggest funders of, of R&D. That seems to be changing a little bit, but and I think that's to our I mean, just competitively and technologically and and all of that sort of thing. And so I don't know if you have a last comment about that before we we close.
1: Yeah, no, I cannot overemphasize that point, that how urgent it is to be a fuel independent or develop towards that, because energy independence is not always the fuel independence. And then we need liquid fuel in transportation to drive our trucks you know, there is a battery technology, but it is not enough of that advancement in that sector to replace biofuel or liquid fuel at this time. It would be very hard trying to run this big trucks in battery with the technology we have today. So in that sense, I would definitely see the critical research and education. I would say both goes hand in hand. You have to have research and then also public education to increase the acceptance of this fuel as an alternative fuel that can create a huge impact with small amount of research dollars we spend on this kind of program. So, yeah, I cannot overemphasize that fact.
0: All right. That's the show. Thanks so much for listening. I want to thank Dr. Shrestra so much for being on the show today. It was a real pleasure to uh, to have you and to talk about these issues with you.:
1: Thank you very much, Tammy, and this was uh, my pleasure. It is an honor to have you know, be able to speak in your program.:
0: Oh, thank you. And an honor for me to have you. So if you're looking for more analysis on Future Fuels issues, head to my website, futurefuelsstrategies.com and sign up for my free bi-weekly newsletter. Thanks again.